Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Get into it! He's the one that will help you bet. Then for the game, you'll be all set. Even though he may help you choose, remember you still may lose. What's up, losers, and welcome to Losing Money with Andrew Bascom. My name's Andrew Bascom, and for 121 episodes, we've helped you lose money on everything. It's a sports gambling podcast where we lose as many bets as possible in about 20-ish minutes. On this episode, we'll be discussing our favorite ways to lose money on UFC 275. And of course, a recap and record check at the end of the show. One bet this week, our favorite bets for UFC 275. Let's get into it. Bet number one, UFC 275. The UFC heads to Singapore for a stacked UFC 275 slate featuring title fights in the light heavyweight and women's flyweight divisions. Let's break down the light heavyweight championship between Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohoshka, the highly anticipated rematch between Zhang Weili and Joanna, and the women's flyweight championship between Valentina Shevchenko and Talia Santos, as well as one of my favorite prospect matchups from the card as well. Actually, you know what? Let's start with that one. Let's start with Jack Della Madalina versus Ramazan Emeyev. This is absolutely one of my favorite prospect matchups on the card. Everybody likes Madalina, but Emeyev is a real test. So Madalina May's UFC debut in January knocked out Pete Rodriguez in the first round, improving his professional record to 11-2. Entering the UFC, I've highlighted Madalina as a fun talent, and as a fighter, I expected to be in many high-action scraps, but there are definitely still areas of his game where I have questions. On the feet, I consider Madalina an aggressive, high-volume striker, you know, that it, that it seems fairly technical. He's capable of winning by knockout and capable of producing enough offense to win rounds. He actually hasn't gone the distance prior to his fight on the Contender Series, but racked up 108 significant strikes in that fight, including 37 alone in round three. I was impressed enough with the cardio as well. He's shown a decent top game on the regional scene, capable of advancing positions and throwing in some ground to pound. But the thing is, I'm still uncomfortable in backing him as a defensive wrestler. Which is an area will he be tested against Amayev? There are instances on the regional scene where Madalena has been taken down and absolutely controlled. The biggest concern of mine was in the contender series bout in the second round where he gave up a ton of top control and easily let his opponent advance and lock up a deep arm triangle choke. Granted, he fought out of it and reversed position. Hey, that's great. But there's a major red flag for there. Once taken down, Madalena doesn't scramble that well. He attempted to play full guard, then he let his opponent advance into half guard, then side control, and let his opponent to take a deep choke. It, all, it ultimately didn't hurt him. It ultimately didn't hurt him in that instance, but it lets me know that since it happened there, it could very well happen again, especially against tougher competition. Until he proves himself otherwise, I have to assume his defensive wrestling and scrambling may be flawed. But coming off that UFC debut victory, he's now a considerable favorite over Mayev, which is mildly surprising, only because Mayev is one of the most consistent wrestlers in the division. Mayev is 5-2 and two in the UFC, and all seven of his fights have gone the distance. He's averaging 2.29 takedowns per 15 minutes, and he's taking down six of his seven opponents. Even on his feet, Amayev is capable and tends to limit exchanges. He's only landing 2.5 significant strikes per minute. He's only absorbing two per minute. And that's a very strong 66% defensive rate. It, su- it suggests that while he won't be able to pull away on the feet, his opponents are not likely to pull away either. And given his usual wrestling upside, it's more often enough to swing rounds in his favor. Realistically, this fight will come down to the takedowns and control from Amayev. I like his defensive metrics, but Amayev doesn't produce enough offense on the feet for my liking. He can't win rounds standing consistently, while Madalena is much more aggressive and on a high-volume striker. I would have to favor Madalena moderately for just a pure kickboxing match, and while he might have a shot to win them by the KO as well, can he defend takedowns well enough? 
I honestly really don't know the answer. My guess is no, honestly, to a degree. I expect it may have to land two to three takedowns in this fight and earn a few minutes of maybe more of control time. If Madalena is capable, he'll scramble up, defend at times, and swing rounds back towards him with effective striking. There's also a decent chance he simply can't get back up or defend takedowns at all. And from a betting perspective, this is the type of matchup I would need to see Madalena win before I would be able to bet on him to win. Does that make sense? He opened close to even money, but is now a minus 165 favorite, which is a line that, honestly, personally, I'm not touching. That's just too much. I'm all for backing prospects, and I think Madalena has the skills to hang around to this level for a long time, but I cannot invest in a fighter with questionable defensive grappling, especially as a favorite. Against the best grappler he has faced in his entire career, this is the type of matchup that will present us extremely useful data for future matches, especially for the winner, but maybe even more so for the loser and why they lost. Emeyev is a plus 135 to win, and it's not necessarily a line that I'm like dying to target, but I do think he's being slightly undervalued here, but his ceiling is also limited considering his lack of offensive production and the lack of finishing ability. So I'm going to take the decision prop at plus 235 or better, which is arguably the most likely outcome in the fight overall. Let's go with Ramazama Mayev at plus 135. We're finding that number at Bovada and via decision at plus 235. And we're finding that via five dimes. But that's just the prospect card, right? That's just, that's just the one that I, the least known names. Now we get into like household names for the rest of the fights in this card. It's really stacked. Let's go with Valentina Shevchenko versus Talia Santos. Valentina Shevchenko will be aiming to strengthen her perch atop the pound-for-pound rankings with a ninth straight victory as she seeks to defend her UFC women's flyweight title against fourth-rate contender Talia Santos. The Bullet is coming off a fourth-round TKO win over Lauren Murphy last time out at UFC 266 and has now finished opponents in four of her six title defenses to date. The biggest long shot of the night, the biggest long shot of the night, is Talia Santos at plus 450. She's coming off an impressive first-round submission win over Joanne Wood at UFC Vegas 43, which marked her fourth straight win since suffering the lone loss of her career to Mara Romero Barella at UFC Fight Night 144. But like, seriously, let's, you know, we want to talk about both fighters. Oh, let me explain what what they've been doing or who they are. But seriously, what else do you need to know about Valentina Shevchenko? She's made her mark on the record books since her return to flyweight. The 34-year-old Russian is undefeated in nine career fights at 125 pounds, with four of those KO wins being the most in history among UFC women's flyweights. The bullet is also installed as a strong favorite. And, you know, why, why, why shouldn't she, really? Since claiming the flyweight crown, supporting an average of a minus 1,262 over her six successful title defenses. While eight of the 22 career wins have come by KO TKO, Shevchenko also sports a formidable submission skills, with five of her first seven career wins coming by tap out within the first five minutes. Shevchenko's racked up a total of 15 takedowns in the past three fights and compiled 18 minutes and 50 seconds of control time over those contests. She is just purely one of the most dominant fighters the UFC has seen in modern history. Talia Santos, on the other hand, has settled down nicely since following that defeat to her Octagon debut, posting four straight wins, including three victories by decision. She is a feared power puncher. She's really strong. In the early days of fighting in Brazil, the 28-year-old had finished opponents within the first five minutes, 12 of her 19 career victories. That skill followed her to the UFC, where she ranked among the tops of UFC flyweights with three career knockdowns. And while she just has three career submission wins to her credit, she's attempted to tap out opponents in four of her past five fights, and that ranks seventh with her 12 career takedowns. Inexperience in championship rounds is the area of Santos that I'm a little concerned about. She has never seen a fight go beyond three rounds. But who are we kidding? Like, I could talk about Talia Santos and how strong she is and good knockouts and stuff like that, but how can you not take Shevchenko? You know, like, at minus 500, where we can see the best number right now via cloud bet, that's just... 
it's not a great number that you want to be taking, and you're going to probably be looking at parlays with Shevchenko, but the only one that we really also like is the over three and a half rounds at minus 160. The fight just has to go over three and a half rounds between these two, and we win our money. Shevchenko has been showing that she'll finish people, but she, she warms up to the fight. Those first couple rounds, she's looking for timing. She might hop around a little bit. So over three and a half rounds feels like a way that we can make money at minus 160 and looking for Shevchenko at minus 500 to be throwing into parlays. Next fight up is Zhang Weili versus Joanna. I, I'm just going to keep going with Joanna because her last name is difficult, let's say. There's only two vowels and there's about 10 letters in it. So I'm just going to go with Joanna. You know exactly who I'm talking about. So arguably one of the best fights in recent years was former champion Zhang Weili and Joanna. They're set to be a rematch on Saturday, and the winner is likely earning the right to challenge Carla Esparza for the strawweight title. That feels weird, Carla Esparza being the strawweight title champion. Wow. <sighs> Things change, eh? Zhang and Joanna went to war for five rounds in an epic championship battle in 2020, which resulted in a split decision in favor of Zhang. The fight was extremely competitive for the majority of 25 rounds, and Joanna was actually the only fighter to earn one unanimous round in the judges' scorecards. However, Zhang landed many impactful shots throughout the fight as well and contributed to a massive hematoma on top of Joanna's head. You know the fight I'm talking about. It's the one that she looks like the elephant man. And it ballooned during the fourth and fifth rounds. It was like a thrilling fight. And I expect another one, like a really competitive scrap again on Saturday. But, you know, just in case you're like, ah, do I know that fight? Yes, you do. You can think about, close your eyes, you can think about that picture in your head. So Joanna actually hasn't fought since that defeat in 2020. This is her first fight back since that fight. And while Zhang fought Rose twice and lost both fights, one by knockout and one by decision, I know many want to dissect every individual strike from the first bout to determine who's going to come out ahead in the rematch, but I prefer to take more of a macro approach, let's say. In the first fight, simply put, most of the rounds were competitive. Joanna landed 186 significant strikes in total, while Zhang landed 165. Three of the five rounds resulted in both fighters landing the exact same number of significant strikes, while Joanna landed 12 more significant strikes in round two and nine more in round five. Zhang was the only fighter of the two to attempt takedowns, but she'd only landed one of eight and had like very little control success in general. She actually only earned 14 seconds of more control time than Joanna, despite attempting eight takedowns, while Joanna, Joanna only attempted none. For the most part, I'm not expecting either side to have much you know, ground success in the rematch, and it's something that I don't really need to highlight that much. Joanna is a very strong defensive wrestler, and has a career 81% takedown defense. She didn't struggle too much against Zhang's attempts in the first time. So maybe Zhang could land one takedown, but I think Joanna is likely to scramble up efficiently. Zhang looked a little bit lost on her back against Rose, which will be a problem if she fights Esparza, but like, let's get to that down the road. Joanna only averages 0.28 takedowns per 15 minutes. It would be unfair to project her for more than one takedown in this fight either. The main difference between that first bout and this rematch is that it's only, only going to take place over three rounds instead of five. This does impact striking exchanges, but it's very difficult to determine how. You know, like, technically, Zhang won the championship rounds in the first time, but historically, Joanna has been the better cardio and more consistent on a round-to-round basis. Personally, I think the f- most fair expectation is that we see competitive rounds that are tightly scored once again. There isn't enough to separate these two fighters on like a per-minute basis without a heavy chance of grappling or damage, so the margins are like incredibly slim. Duena's numbers still rate out better, though. She lands 6.3 significant strikes per minute while absorbing 3.8. That's a 64% defensive rate. That's really good. She had the volume advantage the first time. She defended strikes 11% better than the first time. Zhang lands 5.47 significant strikes per minute and absorbs 4.13. So that's a 52% defensive rate. She's arguably has superior power, but she's more likely to land heavy damage between the two. So on DraftKings, we see Zhang's number at minus 165, which is an implied win rate of 62%. I wouldn't bet that number. I, I, I just don't see it being that decisive of an advantage for Zhang. 
I actually think she lost the first fight and I consider this rematch like relatively even and minus 165 just feels like way too big of odds. For that reason, I'm willing to pull the trigger at Joanna at plus 150 and I think she's a bit undervalued in this spot. I also believe that there's a significant value on the fight to go the distance at minus 240. Remember, there are only three rounds in this fight and, and little wrestling projected on either side. That essentially means we need a standing KO from Zhang or Joanna for this fight to end inside the distance. Both have been knocked out before, and both are very tough and generally pretty durable. It's not a guarantee, of course, in a high-paced, high-action fight, but I believe that this fight goes the distance, and it's among my favorite bets in this whole card. So I'm going to take Joanna at plus 150 and the fight to go the distance at minus 240. And there we go. We're now at the main event. Glover Teixeira, Yuri Prohoshka, our main event this weekend, set the stage for the future of the light heavyweight division. As many believe top contender Prohoshka has the chops to take the belt and hold it for the foreseeable future. Standing in front of him will be the current champ, Glover Teixeira, who's on a remarkable six-fight win streak that culminated on his victory against Jan Blachowicz in 2021. See, he's 42 years old, so it's tough to ask Teixeira to keep the young and hungry prospects at bay, and I'm expecting like just real fireworks by him and Prohoshka on Saturday. Prohoshka enters this bout at 28-3-1, which includes 25 victories by the way of TKO. He's an incredibly dangerous boxer with wild and like awkward style, and his upside has already been proven in the UFC with two early knockdown victories against uh, Volkan Ozdemir and Dominic Reyes. Against an opponent like Teixeira, who is probably past his athletic prime, that's being very nice, he's 42 years old, and he's tough as all hell, he's the champion, but like, yeah, I'm being very nice here. It certainly seems that Prohaska has the tools to potentially find that third consecutive KO and take the title. Despite Teixeira's six-fight win streak, he's definitely faced some adversity in that form of damage. He's actually been knocked down by multiple opponents in that span. Prior to his win streak, Teixeira was knocked out by both Alexander Gustafsson and Anthony Johnson, and it's just a bit difficult to trust fully his durability. To Teixeira's credit, though, he's extremely tough and will not quit even when he's hurt. He's fought back, he's landed takedowns, he's submitted multiple opponents after being rocked. And it's hard to overlook completely, and it seems very possible that Teixeira will continue to eat big shots here and there and suffer the consequences. But on the flip side, Teixeira has also proven that his ground game is among the best in the division. He's earned four submission victories in his last six bouts, He's currently averaging 2.11 takedowns per 15 minutes, and I see his ground game being a key for victory against Prohaska as well. It's impossible to deny Prohaska's offensive capabilities, but what really concerns me for is his defensive flaws. He's not horrid. He's not horrid. Like, you'll see a lot of guys that just throw everything at offensive, and then defensively, they got nothing. He's, but he'll fight with his hands down, which is tricky. Like, he'll just drop them completely, because you're forced to rely on your head movement to avoid strikes. One mistake in the light heavyweight division, and you'll find yourself unconscious in the canvas. And that doesn't help when your hands aren't up. Even with two impressive knockout wins, Prohaska has been hurt in both of his UFC fights. He was rocked by Ismir and rocked by Reyes. Two of his three pro losses have come by knockout as well. And the other lone, lone loss was by submission, interestingly enough. There's been a lot of variance at light heavyweight, but at some point, Prohaska will likely suffer the same fight by his recent opponents. Whether Teixeira has the tools to knock him out is another question. And I'm, honestly, I'm not so sure. But what I do believe is that if Teixeira remains conscious, he can box with Prohoshka competitively. His metrics don't stand out, but Teixeira is capable technically and averages 3.72 significant strikes landed per minute with a 54% defensive rate. Whereas Prohoshka has 7.12 significant strikes landed per minute. Like granted, by the way, per minute, he's got a lot less minutes in the UFC. But he's still only landing and defending strikes at a 48% defensive rate. That's under 50. He's a landing a defensive rate under 50? That means he's taking more punches than he's giving. See, I favor the speed of Prohoshka while the fight stays standing and give him the much, 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 much higher chance to score a knockout as well. 
it's a clear path to victory for him. And it's very likely he can catch Teixeira early in the fight and put him away. If we see an extended kickboxing fight, assuming both men stay conscious, that's where Teixeira can potentially thrive. Prochaska's only won by decision once in his 32 pro fights, and Teixeira is extremely experienced and consistent. I wouldn't be surprised if he had much more success down the stretch, though again, I do expect this fight to end relatively quickly. Where Teixeira is likely to have his best chance is on the mat, in top position, where he can showcase his black belt in jiu-jitsu. Prochaska built a sprawl and brawl style on the regional scene, but he still only defended two takedowns in the UFC. And it just, he didn't look too strong off his back. He bumped Reyes over and over again, reverse position, where Reyes attempted to mount. But my eyes tell me that the other opponents may have just taken advantage of that situation. Teixeira is a highly skilled grappler and capable of taking the back in transition. If Prohoshka continues to end up on the bottom, he, has, he can muscle his way out, but there's a recipe to get tired and that recipe is to get submitted. We may not see Teixeira survive long enough to test the ground game, but I, I have hope. He's proven his superior skill set so many times in this sport, and he truly showed he had advantages in wrestling and grappling department there. If Prohoshka gets too wild or aggressive too early, don't be surprised to see him on his back and fighting for his life. On BetMGM right now, Prohoshka is the favorite as the underdog, as the challenger, excuse me, at minus 200, which is an implied win rate of almost 67%. Personally, I just, I can't take that number. 200, I just can't take that number. If this fight goes the distance or is extended, there's no real reason to be confident in Prohoshka at all. His best chance of success should come in the form of damage and early. I'm not as hard on this fight as I am on other ones, but I will be taking small bets on Teixeira at plus 170. Why? Because it's 170 and he's the champion. Like, it's not, it's, it, this is pizza money, guys. We're not talking about this as a big one. Though, again, I believe he's much more likely to win this fight inside the distance than by decision. The price right now for Teixeira inside the distance is plus 275 and plus 350 to win by submission, which I believe are decent props to consider. The odds are relatively juiced on the fight as, you know, <laughs> it's a championship fight. Of course, it's the main event, but as a whole ending inside the distance. And that's truly my most confident prediction of the fight. I'd be extremely surprised if this fight enters the championship rounds. So betting a line like fight doesn't start the fourth at minus 280 is in play for me as well. This is what the betting card is going to look like for the main event. We're going to take small bets on Teixeira at plus 170, inside the distance for Teixeira at plus 275, and via submission at plus 350. The fight doesn't start the fourth round is the bet that I feel most confident about, and that's at minus 280. Recap! Okay, that's a lot of bets, just all in UFC 275. Let's do a recap here. Emeyev at plus 135 and via decision at plus 235. We have Shevchenko at minus 500 and over three and a half rounds at minus 160. We have Joanna at plus 150 and the fight goes the distance at minus 240. We have some small bets on Teixeira at plus 170 and via inside the distance, 275 and via submission, plus 350. Fight doesn't start the fourth round is our favorite bet there at minus 280. Got it? Good. Record check. Okay. All right. Record check for last episode, 120 here. We, <laughs> I was so excited to go back to UFC. I was so, so excited to go back to MMA because the playoffs have been so up and down for me, both in the NHL and NBA with, you know, who I think should be the right, you know, the right winners, uh, not, not paying off for me. And so I was like, I can't wait to get back to the UFC. This is great. I'm going to take the, uh, the underdog. I'm um, going to take Rosenstruck. It's going to be great. Well, he lost, right? The, the big boy, Rosenstruck, was stopped by early by Volkov, whether right or not. And I will say, I don't, even though we had money on Rosenstruck, uh, a lot of people felt that that stoppage was really early. But you know what? When the fight was stopped, he had his back to Volkov and he was standing. So like kind of hard to whatever. But that's a minus three units because we also took the lightning that night. Uh, so between Rosenstruck and the lightning, that's minus three units for that episode. Really sucks because on both of them, I feel like those are protracted results. I think that Rosenstruck 
could have won that and it was a bad stoppage, whatever. But we've also been betting on the Lightning on our uh, at Losing Money WAB, our free daily picks on almost every week. And we've been winning now because now the Lightning are up 3-2. It just happened to be the episode that I gave you. They went down to nothing. So my Lightning bets that I've been telling you to go, hey, take Avalanche and Lightning in the finals, looking pretty good as a parlay right now. But just that episode, that one game, that's too bad. But we brought it up already. So if you've been following our daily bets at Losing Money WIB, that's where we give out free daily picks on Twitter, on Instagram. We went 11 and 7 that week, plus 2.5 units. So see, balance, life balances out a little bit because we've been all over the Tampa Bay Lightning. So like all over the Tampa Bay Lightning and we've been winning money now. I don't think you're going to find the numbers that we've been finding for those first two games. When they were down 2 nothing, they were closer to even odds than you know, they're ever going to be again. Now they're up 3-2. You might have missed your window. So if you wanted to be betting with us at Losing Money WIB, that's where to do it. That being said, I can't wait to lose money on USC 275. So subscribe to Losing Money with Andrew Bascom wherever you enjoy podcasts. And please give a subscribe and a like to at Losing Money WAB on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you decide to waste your time. We will be back on Tuesday. Why are we back on Tuesday? Because we need to lose money on the U.S. Open. We hope you have fun losing money. And we'll see you later, losers. He's the one that will help you bet. Then for the game, you'll be all set. Even though he may help you choose, remember you still may lose. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!